Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Lindsey Rhodes here, turning the page to week 15 and turning the page on about with the flu. Let me just say, I hope you don't get it. My entire family did this week, and it was absolutely no fun at all. So I'm happy to report that I am off the injury report, a full participant today on the pod, and excited to talk some ball with one of the best guys out there to talk ball with. You guys know Greg Cosell from ESPN's NFL matchup with Darius Butler and Sal Pal. He is also a senior producer at NFL Films, has been for quite a while, and in case you're wondering, yes, he is related to Howard Cosell. He is the nephew of the famous former Monday Night Football announcer. He has over the years become one of the most well-respected tape analysts out there, and I'm hugely honored that he's agreed to share some of his insights in that department with me. So without further ado, let's bring him in. Time to break the huddle. Hello, let's go! Hello, Greg. I have so many questions for you, and I'm a little (laughs) intimidated because you're like this... You know, highly respected hardcore tape guy that all of my tape friends like Baldy and well, John Hansen talks about you all the time <laughs> on the Fantasy Zone channel show. Once a week, he breaks down somebody. And I'm like, he got that from Cosell. There's no way he got that on his own. <laughs> well, you know, the fantasy stuff's a little fascinating. Sometimes I try to tell him stuff and, you know, he goes, yeah, but the guy was in the area. So it's man coverage. And I'm like, well, no, John, it doesn't quite work that way. You know, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, but we have a great time. I've, I've been, God, I've been doing stuff with him for a long time. So what is fantasy even on your radar? Like, no. I know you're like, okay. <laughs> John okay. knows that too. I, I don't do fantasy at all, but, you know, I give them, you know, the tape study stuff and, uh, and they use it however they want to use it. But, uh, you know, I guess a good amount of the time it kind of works out. So I'm curious about what your process is as a tape guy. How do you watch the games initially? And then how do you decide what you want to dive into further? Like what to prioritize throughout the week? Well, as you probably know, um, the NFL matchup show on ESPN is kind of my baby because I created yeah. the concept back in, believe it or not, the mid eighties, Lindsay, you probably won't even born yet, but oh, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Let's go yeah, with okay. that. Oh, we'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it, was, it was 1984 was the first year of that show. And so I produced it for a long, long time. And then, um, you know, due to other circumstances at ESPN six years ago, I became a, uh, I guess an analyst on the show as well. An on-air personality, Lindsay, as I guess. Talent. Yes, talent. Talent. Yes, yes. Your talent became officially recognized. Right. I I tell myself that anyway. So so I've been on the show now for six years. So basically the process is this, because I've been watching tape. We got the, the coaching tape here at NFL Films in 1992, maybe, right around there. So that was like the Rosetta Stone, because, you know, at that point, I really needed to learn the game because, you know, I grew up in Queens in New York and my high school didn't have football. So I played basketball and baseball. So when I I had to learn the game through the coaching tape, really learn the game, not be a fan of the game, you know, as everybody is, but really learn the game. And it's, it's ongoing even now after 30 years or so, but it took a long time. And I just became fascinated by, by the game from sort of an academic and intellectual standpoint. And that's the way coaches talk about it, as you probably know, you know, so 
uh, and I've over the years, I was able to develop through going to the scouting combine, just to develop relationships with coaches, personnel people. So I'm constantly learning. So since I've been watching tape for so long, I've gotten a feel for certain things, certain coaches, what they do, um, certain teams, what they do. So if you're asking me, let's say how what my normal week is, let's say for the matchup show, I come in Monday morning and Monday is just a, a tape grind day. And it takes a long time to watch tape. There's no way I can watch every game every week because just to watch one side of a ball, which is first the sideline shot of a play and then the end zone shot of the same play. So if a team runs 70 plays, that takes me close to two hours to watch that tape. You know, I'm not watching it like I'm sitting at home watching a game on Sunday where it just kind of rolls by. And by the way, I watch the red zone on Sunday because, you know, I just on Sunday, I just let the games kind of happen, you know. So I do that all day Monday, pretty much all day Tuesday. And then what happens as I'm doing all this. Do you watch all of the games? Not like, possible. Okay, so so you are Not prioritizing possible. to a degree. You're like, right. these are teams this so week I that picked I the seven something games. happened. I, well, I picked the seven games that are going to be in the matchup show because it's okay. a half-hour show, which, as you probably know, means 21 minutes of real time. So we can only do seven games. Because we're not a soundbite show. You know, we're not there to say mm-hmm. they got to run the ball. We don't do that kind of stuff. You know, we're breaking things down. And even we hope our comments are more based on film than just sort of general platitudinous statements. Mm-hmm. So so obviously I'm dealing with those seven games, you know, as far as the matchup show. But I also do some radio, as you probably know. So I have to make sure I watch all that tape. Because, see, you're special today, Lindsay, because I normally don't do anything on Monday or Tuesday. So you're still very flattered. Thank you. So because I just have to watch tape, I have to watch as much as I can and get through it. So, you know, people through the years say, well, can you come on Monday? And I say, I don't react to games like that. I don't react to what I see on TV. I have to see the tape to really know what happened. And then you have to see it through the course of a game. Is that specific play representative of, of the game itself or is it just a play? You know, there's a lot of great guys uh, who who know football. You know, you mentioned some who can break down plays, you know, you, you know, former players, former coaches that that's not what we just do. Obviously, that's the result. We break down plays, but we like to think it speaks to something greater than just, oh, watch this play. And mm-hmm. so you have to watch tape and you have to watch teams every single week. Like I can watch a team now. It's week. God, we're going into week 15. So we've played 14 weeks. I know it's crazy. And I can watch a team and say, oh, yeah, that's what they do. I've seen that concept in their pass game all season long. I know this is what they run. They like to run this. You know, I can see on defense, oh, on third down, they like to do this. You know, so you learn that. And because I've been doing it for so long, there's a lot of coaches where I just kind of have a feel. I'm not going to say I know what they're going to call. That would be very presumptuous and I'm not that smart. But you know, you get a sense of what teams do and what coaches do. And and like I said, because I've been studying tape for a long, long time, you know, I always tell people, Lindsay, I don't do takes. I don't do hot takes. I don't do bold, controversial statements. To some, it might come across that way, but it's all based on what I see on film. So, you know, I don't just say, oh, like I would never say this guy stinks. I don't talk like that. Because first of all, I think that's not really the right way to talk about people. And I will never say anything negative about coaches because I know how hard I work, Lindsay. So I know how hard they work. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything negative about a guy that works 17 hours a day. You know, is it always going to work out the right way? Of course not. 
there's a lot of smart people in this business. So it never, you know, it doesn't always work out the right way. And you're, if you're a fan, hey, it's your prerogative to say, hey, the coach stinks or they, that's, hey, that's what fans do. You know, I don't talk like that. I just, I, my mind doesn't work like that because I know how hard this is. Well, and there's just, there's all of these things reside in some gray area as far Without as I'm question. concerned. Without like it's question. not, it's not black. It's not white. Right. Someone's not good or bad. Like there are a bunch of circumstances at play. And the interesting thing is usually finding out what those circumstances are. That's making it tilt in one direction or the other. I do think it's very interesting as somebody who spent the majority of his career as a producer right. that you don't like the hot take business. No, so, I'm not, I've never been a hot take guy, you know, cause I, you know, cause that, that drives probably, clicks and ratings. Don't you know, Greg? Uh, yeah, I know. I know. But, you know, maybe that goes back just even to my college background. I majored in American history and political science, believe it or not. So, you know, I, I was always taught to do critical thinking and, you know, that kind of thinking. So I'm not a quick take guy. Like I don't see something and say, aha, that's it. You know, I need to study it. And when you study it, hopefully, hopefully I see the nuance, the subtlety, the detail more than just a quick take. Let me ask you this, because you were talking about sort of predicting patterns of uh, what coaches like to do in certain situations. It seems to me, and I don't know if this is just recency bias or something that I would potentially say every year, but it feels to me like this year more than most years, what I am expecting to happen quite often in terms of specifically that, like where, where the mismatches maybe in this right. game and I'll, you know, do a deep dive into all the numbers and right. say, oh, they're, they're really bad against slot receivers or whatever. And so maybe this particular good slot receiver is going to have a good game. It feels like more than I can recall, it's going the opposite way. And I'm wondering if you have noticed that what seems predictable is less likely to actually happen this year more than it has been in years past. And I was thinking that this might have to do with all of the information that everyone now has access to and the right. analytics and all that stuff. And whether or not there's such a deep self-scouting that's taking place that it's purposeful that what you expect to happen is not happening anymore. That's does that question make question sense? Yeah, it does. It's a tough question for me to answer. I don't mean to cop out because I don't see the game like that. To me, each game is kind of a separate entity with the, the tactics and the schemes of that game and those teams specific to that moment in time that I'm watching that tape. So, you know, for instance, if I'm watching the Dallas Cowboys defense, I know that they're a heavy man-to-man defensive team. I'm going to mm-hmm. see a lot of man coverage. You know, there's certain things you know when you watch teams. You know, I know when I watch the Kansas City Chiefs offense that uh, an Andy Reid favorite with a pass game concept is something we call flood. It's a three-level stretch. It's a short, intermediate, vertical route concept to one side of the field. I know I'm going to see that because that's one of the things they do. So I don't think of the game in terms of, oh, that's different. I think of it in terms of what I'm seeing. So... So I'm not necessarily predictive. Like you mentioned something really interesting, and it's funny you do that because these are the kinds of conversations I have with John Hansen, where you know he'll say, this team is, you know, the numbers show that they're bad against the tight end. And I'll say to him, well, there could be many reasons for that. There's not one reason. You know, you almost have to look at the opponents. Is Are they bad against the tight end because they're playing a lot of man coverage and the person they have covering the tight end isn't a particularly good man-to-man defender? Are they bad versus the tight end because they play a lot of zone and they just, the kind of zones they play, they leave a particular void in a certain area. And, you know, so 
the way I look at all this stuff is I'm always thinking, why? Why is that the case? You know, and you mentioned analytics. And I've had analytics conversations with so many people, as we probably all have had. And analytics is very results-based. I, I, I'm more, I like the process of tape study more. To me, the results end up being the results. You know, we're all geniuses when we have access to the results. I like the whole process of watching tape and, and you know, and and now I wouldn't say I'm trying to figure things out and that I'm trying to be predictive, but I just like seeing how it all plays out because I, none of this stuff is done on a whim. So when you see, like I saw a play today, it was actually a touchdown run by the Jets against the, um, uh, the Bills this week. And it was a great concept. And I actually called my guys in from the matchup room and said, hey, take a look at this. And they all agreed, wow, that's a really cool concept of how they got to that. That's the kind of stuff that fascinates me. You know, not whether it's fourth and two and the analytics say you should go for it. That that doesn't, and I'm just being honest, that doesn't yeah. fascinate me the way it might some others. Uh, I have been excited to talk to you about a couple of things that to me, I don't understand. And I'm wondering if oh, you've boy. seen any explanation. Mm-hmm. Well, so the Lions, for instance, are a right. team that I circled uh, right. this week because the way I watch the games, I'm like, uh, you know, in TV, it used to be we had, to, I knew we were going to talk about certain, it's like play the hits, right? right? So one of the things I really like about this podcast is that I can take the conversation to just whatever I feel like is new and different and creates a, a more interesting conversation for the week. So like the lions are a team that I wrote down this week and then the Ravens and then the bills are the three teams that I wrote down as saying like, I want to look deeper into these three teams this week after um, not just this, this week's result, but this week right. and then piggybacked with a bunch of weeks coming into this, the lions are a team when that line came out last week. And I don't know if you follow any of the betting stuff, but they were favored against the Vikings and people's heads exploded. They're like, the Vikings have 10 team, uh, 10 wins. I don't understand right. how this is possible. And so I did more of a deep dive into like some of those advanced metrics that you may or may not even uh, think are important, but like DVOA and EPA and stuff like that. And it turns out that the lions, as far as those stats are concerned since week nine have been playing much better defensive football. And I don't know if they have done anything schematically that is different to explain for that. If they've had a personnel change, like what uh, they did, they did do a little bit of a, coaching switcheroo there at some point. Um, But we talk narratively speaking about the Lions offense and we have all year long. And then we talk about the defense as being one of the worst in the league and they just have to overcome that. And I'm wondering if you've seen any reason to believe on tape that that is no longer the case. And there is a reason. See, this is where the tape tells me. Because early in the season, and, and for those who watched Hard Knocks, they saw what they wanted to be. They wanted to be super aggressive, with a lot of pressure and play a lot of man coverage, okay? Now, to do that, you've got to be really able to cover on the back end. And they just got burned in the early part of the season. They played this way. Aaron Glenn, who who I, I've met and have talked to over the years, you know, he just wanted to be really, really aggressive. Players love playing that way, by the way. You know, defensive players want to blitz. Corners want to play man. That's their thing. But they were getting burned. So, as the year progressed, because you can't keep playing that way, you can't keep living that way, no matter how good your offense is, and we can get into that in a second too, is he had to make a slight adjustment. Now, because you spent all off-season OTAs, training camp, inculcating a certain approach, you can't change it 180 degrees. 
You can't do that during a season because there's not enough time during the week to do that. You have to prepare for your opponent. So you can't make a total conceptual change, but you can tweak degrees. So what they did is they became far more judicious in their use of pressure, in their use of man coverage, and they weren't they didn't do it as much. So therefore, they kind of cut down on giving up big plays and they became just a, a more fundamentally sound defense. And they're certainly not a top five defense in the league, but they're, they're playing better. So it's not a liability the way it was early in the season. Okay, and that's a huge difference. And then offensively, in a sense, what they're doing is they're playing to what Jared Goff is. You know, people forget Jared Goff was the first pick in a draft and Jared Goff got a team to a Super Bowl. Now, it, it was always fashionable to say that's all Sean McVay. But Sean McVay understood what Jared Goff is and still is to this day. And the Lions are basically playing to his strengths. They've put him under center. They run the play-action pass game. They run the play-action boot game. They allow him to do what he is. He's a very comfortable, smooth thrower of the football who can execute efficiently from the pocket if he's protected. And by the way, they have a really good O-line, which probably isn't talked about enough. So uh, true. You're right. And therefore, he's protected well, and he throws a beautiful ball. And this new offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, has done a really good job with route design and route concepts. He gets receivers open versus zone coverage. Obviously, man receivers have to win, but he gets receivers open versus zone coverage. And Goff's a pretty comfortable player right now delivering the football. And if you give Goff time in the pocket, I mean, there was a reason he was a number one pick in a draft, Lindsay. You know, are guys, do guys always play to their draft status, right or wrong? No, of course not. You know, obviously Tom Brady was the 199th pick. You know, I mean, who knows what Brock Purdy is going to be as, you know, as the last pick in the draft. We don't know that. He's played two games. But, you know, and obviously not every number one pick becomes a great player. But there's usually reasons, you know, valid football reasons why guys get drafted where they get drafted. Doesn't mean people don't make mistakes. We know that. But if you were to talk to them, they could snap off five reasons why and you'd say those are all really good reasons it doesn't always work okay and there's many variables involved but jared goff throws a pretty ball and if he's protected with a good scheme and good tactical elements like play action um he can function very very effectively and he's functioning at a pretty high level right now and then we figure out who the good coaches are i suppose in terms of who maximizes um, the use of those players in terms of what their skill sets are. Yeah. And, and I'm, right? I'm always Larry Lindsay. It's funny you ask me that. And I'm not one, even though I certainly have my opinions based on tape study and I've been doing it for a long time. And I talk to coaches and believe me, there are coaches that call me in the off season because they know what I do. Um, you know, whether it's draft stuff, because I watch 250 draft eligible players in detail leading up to the draft. Um, so yes, but I'm very leery of speaking negatively about coaches because I know so many and I know how hard they work. Now, obviously it's like any business, Lindsay, there's going to be, you know, better coaches than others. That that's, mm -hmm. that's true in any business. Okay. There's better people than others, but I'm, I'm just really leery because I know how hard this is of, of, and I feel like I don't have enough information. I'm being honest. I feel like you'd have to be in the meeting rooms all week to know what they're talking about, how it's taught, what they're asking of their players. You know, 
um, my friend Merrill Hodge always used to say, coaches have all the power, but no control. And it's a really interesting line because all week long they coach and coach and coach, but they're not playing in the game. So, you know, they, they do all what the things they can do, you know, in the classroom with the iPads on the field, whatever, but then the game starts and the players play. And sometimes they do it the right way. And sometimes they don't. Well, to that point, actually, I was thinking about this earlier. When you hear the line in post game, uh, we just need to execute. Which is now you 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 probably more than most, though, know whether or not because because you're like doing a deep dive into the tape, whether it that's actually true. Correct. And the play design was great and it should have happened and it just didn't happen because somebody messed up or whether or not it was just a disaster in terms of design. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I watch, a, let's say, a pass play and the route concept is phenomenal versus the anticipated coverage because the whole game is built on probability and tendency. Nothing is 100 percent certainty. So it's probability and tendency. So that's how offenses call their plays based on probability and tendency. Um, and then, you, you you know, let's say they call a great play and the left guard misses his block and the quarterback gets sacked. You know, some fan might say, oh, terrible call. Well, you know, the the play actually worked beautifully. I missed his block. What, you know, what are you going to say about that? You know, so, so anyway, getting back to my overall point, I'm, I'm very leery of, of saying anything negative about coaches because I know how hard they work. I know how they agonize. I mean, these guys in the off season, I mean, shoot, when I'm at the combine and I get a chance to go out to, to a meal with a coach, you know, they're sitting there at the table that, you know, the salt shaker, the, the, uh, the pepper shaker, they're moving pieces around. They're still coaching. You know, these guys do this 24, seven, 365 days out of the year. You know, this is serious stuff. Are there any teams out there right now that you think are playing better ball than they're getting credit for that? We've kind of like baked in a narrative about them and either at some point throughout the season, things have shifted or. Well, it's not leading to wins. And, and this might this might sound odd only because of their record, but I don't think before the season anybody thought the Philadelphia Eagles would be 12 and 1. Mm-hmm. And I think that the development of Jalen Hurts, for me, as someone who really studies quarterbacks and is asked often about quarterbacks by coaches as well, and has has learned. I mean, I was very fortunate to be taught the position by Bill Walsh. So that, you know, that's where it started for me. So I mean, I was fortunate to be around Bill Walsh numerous times. And he's quite taught, a flex there, Greg. Yeah, yeah, you know, there you go. You know, and uh, you know, so that's where it started for me. And so I look at someone like Jalen Hurts, who his development is truly remarkable, truly remarkable. Because you know, he was benched at Alabama because he couldn't throw very well, as most people might remember. And, you know, he's throwing the ball pretty good now. Now, I think they have a great scheme, and I think they do a really good job of defining throws, but he is making really good throws. And he's been a joy to watch. And their offense, quite frankly, has been a joy to watch. I don't think anybody could have predicted prior to this season. They might have said, hey, the Eagles are a good team. You know, that, that when you say that in August, that could mean it that doesn't really mean anything you know but i mean it's made me think about when i start evaluating college quarterbacks how you know do i need to change my process or or not change tweak my process you know even someone like josh allen he came out of college and 
you know, he was drafted seventh, obviously, by the Bills. And people said, oh, this guy, I mean, I don't know if this guy's going to make it. He's so scattershot. You know, he can't hit open receivers anywhere on the field. And his first year, year and a half, he missed guys. It was it was like he didn't even know the guys were there. He was missing them by 20 yards. And, you know, and all of a sudden he became, you know, I don't want to say he's pinpoint accurate in the way, you know, a Drew Brees was in his prime. But Josh Allen's a pretty accurate thrower now. And, you know, it makes you think, okay. How can quarterbacks develop? See, that's the kind of stuff, Lindsay. That Gino. Me. Yeah, but G- and Gino's been around for nine years. And obviously, yes. And he's, th- there's a great example. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, he's played extremely well. Now, you know, and this is where I, I find it fascinating. And people always take this the wrong way. When you match scheme and how a, a coach helps a quarterback and an offense, People tend always respond by thinking that you're knocking the quarterback, that you're a hater. I love that word. That's the new word that people use on social media. You're a hater. You know, but that's the coach's job, Lindsay. The coach's job is to put the quarterback and the offense in positions to succeed so that when the quarterback does succeed, you know, it's a good thing. You know, you're not knocking the quarterback. It's a good thing. And, you know, that's what coaches are supposed to do. Um, And I think that that. The staff with um, the Seahawks, Shane Waldron is the offensive coordinator there, and he came from the Rams, and he's done a lot of play-action boot, which the Rams did a lot of when, you know, when Goff was there and Waldron was there. Um, You know, and Geno has been really efficient within the context of what he's being asked to do. And, you know, that's a good thing. I can't believe I'm going to spend even part of my time with you asking about this team because it feels very irrelevant, but I have been uh, interested in this in the last few weeks. And this is another thing that I haven't seen on tape. I've only seen the numbers. The Texans run defense is, (laughs) I know, right? The Texans, like who cares about the Texans? But I, I, and this is rooted in fantasy. This is where this came up because the Texans are a team that has been like all year long, whoever is the running back facing them, plug them in. It doesn't even matter because they've just, they're a sieve, right? But they're the 12th best since week nine and expected points added with the 10th best success rate. Um, Is there anything that that they have done different? Well, I know, right? All these expected points added and DVOA and all of these metrics. There, yeah. re, there, there are uh, definitions attached to them, but you're just going to have to trust me that there's some sort Aaron of a... You can call and get his view on that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, I think, exp- anyway, uh, yeah. the Texans run defense. have Has the Texans defense gotten better as the year has gone on? You know, I, I, this one... I'm or are they just not on your radar? You're like, I'm going to tap out because they're the Texans. This one I'm going to have to cop out on. Because, to be honest <laughs> with you, it. I haven't watched their defense in probably three or four weeks. So I, I can't really answer that question. And, and people who know me know that I don't make stuff up, you know, so I can't, That's great. I, can't I can't answer that question. Okay. Then last question for you. We talked about the Eagles. The Eagles for me have become this, the team that I feel like jump off the page as the team right. that you can predictively, because I, I was talking to somebody else earlier today about like, you know, the Vikings and the Vikings have the weapons to do it any given week, but they've also established that we can't consistently expect them to do it on a play to play basis. Right. They haven't been that team this year on offense um, there's well, a reason or, for or on defense, but OK, what's First the reason? All, they, haven't, they haven't run the ball anywhere near as successfully as we've seen them do in the past. Um, you know, if you look at Dalvin Cook's raw numbers, the numbers are pretty good. But if you watch their tape, they have not been able to run with the sustainability. And that's a key factor in the run game. You know, there's he Dalvin Cook is a back that can give you an explosive play. I love Dalvin Cook, by the way, you know, the way he runs. But they have not been able to really run with the sustainability that we've seen in the past. 
And defensively, they've had a lot of issues giving up big plays. And this is a league now where people are trying to create big plays offensively and defensively. The last thing you want to do is give up big plays and they give up way too many big plays. So that's been a problem for them. So on a week to week basis, even though their record is uh, what, 10 and three now, I guess it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in three, and then obviously they're still in a very good position. I guess the, the way I look at the way I look at, at football when I watch games is I can see, for want of better terms, flaws, weaknesses, limitations, whatever term you want to use with given teams. And whenever one of those pops up in any given week against an opponent, I'm not surprised by it because I've seen it on tape. So that's why if there's, you know, some games that are viewed as upsets to me are not necessarily upsets per se. Like, for instance, Jacksonville beating Tennessee this week. Tennessee has really struggled defensively in the passing game of late because they've had a ton of injuries. It's forced them to change the way they play on the back end because they they don't have the people. OK, so here they play Jacksonville and the last two weeks hurts through for 380. Uh, I can't I don't know the exact number for Lawrence, but it was over 300. and. And, you know, so I'm not surprised by it. So so for most people, they're like, oh, my God, how do they lose to at home to Jacksonville? Well, that that to me is not a big surprise based on, you know, who they're putting out there, how they had to make some adjustments to play. And so I'm not surprised by that. I feel like Jacksonville is a better team than Tennessee is. And they may or may not be. But the point is, is, you know, right. it, the result to me wasn't surprising. Yeah. Um. The uh, question that I was trying to get to was that the Eagles to me are a team that I feel like I can count on consistently. Right. If I'm trying to be predictive, like the defense is good, though. Yeah. I don't think that that is as important when it comes to the playoffs. I think the defense has to be at least average, probably like not a massive liability and the quarterback and the offense. But I think that they can they can do it in the run. We saw them do that against the Packers. Packers are are a run funnel. So they just ran the ball and had a ton of success. And then they faced the Titans and that secondary they that you're it. talking about there. And they threw the ball and they can, whatever your weakness is, they have the weapons and they can attack that and exploit it. And they don't even need to, maybe their strength is just better than your strength. Um, so that is a team that I think predictively speaking, looking ahead to the playoffs, I go, that's a team that I think, uh, we can expect, and it won't always happen because anything can happen. That right. was the Minnesota point, right? They could hit a couple of explosive plays win the game, random stuff happens sure. in the NFL. But in terms of if the Eagles are that team that is maybe the most predictive moving forward, who do you think ha- who else belongs in that conversation as far as the, the most consistently impressive team when you put on the tape? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I think Cincinnati at their best is an intriguing because mm. I think they're better on defense than people talk yes. about. Okay. Um, they don't have that one guy necessarily that you say, wow, that guy is an impact game changer, you know, and you say that that guy can just rise up and dominate a game. But I think they're, they're good at all three levels. Um, does that mean they're, they're not beatable on defense? No, but I think their defense is really solid. They're very opponent specific in, in, in how they play. I think Lou Anaramo has done a really, really good job, and his name is probably not mentioned enough. Um, I think offensively, when everybody's there, um, I think they've had stretches where they have not run the ball as well as I believe they're capable of running the ball. Um, 
But I think their old line has improved as the year has gone on because all five guys, I believe, have played a lot of snaps this year. I think they're one of the old lines that has the, the same five has played a large, large majority of the snaps. Um, and they're getting better. And I think Burrow understands for the most part, he's gotten better too at understanding how to camouflage and compensate for his O-line when necessary. Because I think in years past, and he's only in his third year, but, you know, he had to grow. You know, everything is immediate. So we just say Joe Burrow's great and, you know, he's always been great. But he had to learn how to play too in the NFL. And I think he has a much better feel now for understanding how to camouflage for any weakness that may exist in a given game with his old line. He's not getting sacked as much. He moves more when he needs to, and he's actually pretty mobile and, and, and he's very calculated mobile. So they're to me an interesting team. And actually I believe they play the last Monday night game against the bills. And that's going to be a really intriguing game. They've got Tampa Bay, new England, Buffalo and Baltimore left on their schedule. Right, because the last week of the season, there's no Monday night game. So they oh. play the last Monday night game against Buffalo. And Buffalo is a team, to me, they've got some some clearly defined flaws that can crop up at any time. You cannot ask Josh Allen to be Superman every week. It's not possible to play that way in this league. And he's Superman a lot. And when he's not, then people want to, you know, denigrate him as if he's just, you know, not very good. But it's hard to play that way. You know, their O-line is okay. They don't really run the ball with volume or really meaningful production. Um, and and I think those are, and, and quite frankly, they've not gotten, I think, I think if they were being honest with truth serum, they would tell you they've not gotten what they hoped for from Gabriel Davis and Isaiah McKenzie this year, which is why they just signed Cole Beasley, because they've just, in a sense, they're digs and a bunch of guys. And that's not enough. So they've got some some things that are potentially problematic. Greg Cosell, I can't tell you how flattered I am that you made time for uh, me on a Tuesday. A I really Tuesday. appreciate it. <laughs> You're the best. Thanks, Lindsay. And you can find more from Greg on Twitter. His name is his handle, at Greg Cosell. Also, NFL Matchup is a great way to get ready for the week's games. So if you don't have that DVR already, I highly recommend you add it to your list. First airing is late Friday night my time. So I guess that's technically Saturday morning in the East, 1.30 a.m. with multiple rears throughout the day on Saturday. And I cannot wait to see which games he dives into this week. The seven, as he told us that he isolates for the show. I think we can probably count out Chiefs Texans based on his comments about Houston, <laughs> but that's certainly understandable. It's an interesting week this week because there are three games on Saturday. We've got Colts, Vikings, Ravens, Browns, Dolphins, Bills all on Saturday, and that last game is huge. Buffalo with a two-game lead in the AFC East. As of now, if Miami can close the gap to one with three weeks left, things could get very interesting down the stretch, though it does look like Miami's got a few kinks to work out after the last few weeks, a couple of tough outings for them against the Chargers and the Niners. Then on Sunday, we've got six games in the early window and four in the afternoon, a couple of interesting lines that jump out at me. So the Browns are actually favored as of Tuesday afternoon against the Ravens by one and a half. 
And I'd imagine that has a lot to do with the quarterback situation for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson week to week and Tyler Huntley working his way through the concussion protocol. Deshaun Watson has not looked good so far in his first two games with Cleveland, but I guess you have to assume that part of that is rust-related. We'll see if this is the week that maybe he shakes that off. Another interesting one, Lions favored again against the Jets, who I think are a pretty good football squad. It's just a a one-and-a-half point spread there, so it's close, but that's a game that I'm very interested to watch. I'm not particularly interested in the Cardinals-Broncos, but I do think it's notable that Denver is favored in that one. I mean, there are very few times this season when we've been able to say that, though clearly that has to do with Kyler Murray being out for the year with a torn ACL. The Cardinals did play with Colt McCoy as a starter two other times this season, and he went one and one. He lost to San Francisco, but he did beat the Rams. In fact, the Cardinals have the same record on the season as the Rams. I know we've all beaten up on the Rams this year for the team that they've been fielding. I think it's interesting that Arizona has put up the exact same record, four and nine, and they have just seven points differentiating them in overall net scoring. Also, that Sunday night football game between the Giants and Commanders, hugely important for both of them in terms of playoff positioning or playoff potential, I suppose is more accurate. Washington is favored in that game by four and a half at home. And what a tale there of two teams going in opposite directions at opposite times this year. New York so good to start this season, cooling off dramatically as of late, while Washington strings together six wins and a tie in its last eight games. Coming up on Friday, my take on all of this from a fantasy standpoint, the Fantasy 15. If you're a subscriber, that'll pop up as soon as it's available sometime Friday night. Really appreciate all of you for listening. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll come back. And if you have any thoughts that you want to pass along, I'm open to hear them. On Twitter, I am Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm Lindsay Rhodes NFL on Instagram. Big thanks to my producer, Andrew Emmer. The show, the NFL Road Show, is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Hope you have a great rest of the week, and I'll see you again on Friday. Serious XM Podcasts.